Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Single speeds. They are um, free speeds, at least. So you, you got um, sit down and pedal. Uh-huh. Stand up and pedal. Uh-huh. Get off and push. Uh-huh. And when there's a secret one where you F everything off, turn around and freewheel back to town. Hello and welcome to another Desert Island Disc Breaks. I'm Hannah and this week I'm here with... Charlie Hobbs. Charlie Hobbs. Now then, this is a bit of a special edition because uh, you might refer to it, Charlie, as... You are successfully completing your working career. <laughs> That's what I used to uh, when I successfully completed a marriage. I know. So <laughs> this is, is this a euphemism? Well, you've got to look on the positive side, haven't you? It, you <laughs> Charlie, Charlie is retiring. We can uh, exclusively reveal to you in the hottestly anticipated uh, news of the bike industry uh, today. But like, but like many things I do, I'm not doing it properly. This isn't proper retirement. This is retiring. This is semi-retiring really badly because, uh, because you don't need a lot of money to be poor and ride your bike all day. That's so, basically the gist of it. And yeah. after he, single track, you going to ask me about after single track? Should I just tell so you? Well, I'm sure you'll get to that because I'm <laughs> sure you'll use it as a free marketing opportunity. Sure, no doubt. But uh, yeah, so you're, you're certainly retiring from having bosses or any of that. You've had a little taste of it. I know you used to have a boss way back when that possibly drove you into the bike industry. So, so we will probably come to that in a cool. minute because Desert Islanders Breaks is, is where we uh, prepare to wash you up on an island of your design to spend the rest of your days. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk through the bikes of your life. Cool. Before, Where are we going to start? So, well, we're going to start with when did you learn to ride and what was your first bike? Around 76, 1976, um, there was a small dark red kind of roadster thing, you know, but just, a bike because uh-huh. that's what we had back then uh i was about four or five years old and i took it out of the garage by myself without adult supervision and it turns out adult supervision is you know something i sometimes need <laughs> <laughs> and so uh uh within within no distance at all you know without stabilizers learning to ride by myself i had uh crashed into the back end of a barricade of old ladies who were just going about their business some neighbors so that was my first bike. I picked okay. up a scar on my, I think it was on my right eyebrow, which is still there. That was off a manhole cover. So that was my first outing, solo outing, running over old ladies and needing stitches in my face. And at that point, there should probably have been some kind of social work intervention. You should probably be entered into a program and society might have not been better. But you know, as a child, <laughs> you're... A, or, um, you know, you, you will one day, be, one day be my age. I think I put that very diplomatically. <laughs> I'm not that far off. <laughs> well, I'm not, it would be inappropriate to specify, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, back then in the 70s, uh, yeah, kids were feral. 
we, we were, you know, we, we went up the woods and set fire to stuff and things that get you locked up nowadays were considered wholesome, wholesome activities back then. So, so some of them weren't and indeed people have been locked up for. So <laughs> the 70s wasn't all good. No. So did you ride bikes all the way through childhood and into adulthood? Yeah, never stopped. Yeah, all the way through. And my off-road riding predates BMX. But predates the UK wave of BMX. BMX goes back to the 60s, if not earlier in the States. And it predates mountain biking in the UK as well. And I, so I had this, uh, we, had a, we had tracker bikes, which are basically roadsters with cow horns on them. And um, you whip off the front brake for no reason. You spray it without removing any components. So you've got paint on your tires, paint on everything. And we had a um, slight downhill run in the woods. Mm-hmm. Back in the woods, Alton, Hampshire if anyone's local, and um, there was a, a lump to launch off of a route right at the lip. And, <laughs> and so 1979-ish, at age seven, I could go and land beyond the roots of the big tree. I went back in late 90s in the full suspension FSR. I couldn't jump as far <laughs> at 25 years old as I could at seven years old. And then I went back again to the same spot, and, uh, and it was all overgrown. And I thought, you know, Alton, you've just got, Rubbish, you're a rubbish town full of rubbish kids. And then it's went a little bit further into the woods and found a massive jump spot. And so, yeah, Alton uh, is still rad. <laughs> and so, did you ever buy a bike with your own money? What was the first one? The first, I mean, that, those, those trackers, they cost 30 pence. You swapped them for sweets and, you know, or an action man or something. You know, they, they, I don't think, I've never spent more than a pound. So the first bike I bought was a uh, a Rally Mirage. That would have been around 1989-ish, I guess. And it was a 23-inch frame, which is a whopper, but that's how things were. And um, the seat stays were sort of spot-welded to the sides of the seat tube. So normally they're pushing to the back. They sort of join them on the back, mm-hmm. so they've got something to push against. But because Rally were just using their basic road bike understanding to make mountain bikes they put them on the sides and so after a few landings they'll just pop off and you'd have a soft tail for five to ten meters and then you had a when you had a folded bike so i got for about two two sort of prongs that were perfectly placed that impale you on the back of your knees as well I just yeah thought. yeah <laughs> the, the, the bike folds up before you you know you're rolling around before the, before you get pronged yeah that was um it's was, it was great days so i was um i was a student and or unemployed, and me and my mate Dan, we would um, uh, throw a bag, lash a rucksack down to the rear rack, and go off and sort of um, let quite sort of. A, I should put this diplomatic uh, about, about incrimination. Um, you know the film Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was a little bit like that in some ways. So would that be your first memorable off-road ride, or was there one yeah. before that that made you go? Ah, this is it. This is yeah. where I want to be. Well, prior to about 1986-ish, <laughs> my scout group, we went to the Lake Districts uh, for a two-week summer camp. We went to Chapel Style in okay. Langdale Pass and rented mountain bikes. And they had drum brakes. In 1986? Yeah. Uh, quite... you, I'll tell you when it was because there's a photograph of me. I was wearing a big audio dynamite T-shirt. So if you Google when E equals MC squared, the Big Audio, Big Audio Dynamite song came out, that was this summer. I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> but that, that sounds quite forward thinking for a, a scout group in 1986. Not really, because as a scout group, we were already taking our BMXs off on days, you know, days out. And okay. things like that. So we, so we were riding off-road before mountain bikes. Have been to one... have a higher fleet in 1986, that's pretty... Well, I've been back. And the business well, and is no right. longer there. Well, it's 1985 that that was released. So it would yeah. be 1985, 1986, yeah? Yeah. And um, so I've been back. I like going back. And I went back and I found a building they hired from. And it's now someone's garage. I think it's probably someone's garage back then. And uh, I retraced the route that we rode. Mm-hmm. And so I did that as a dog walk. And then I went back on a 690 KTM off-road motorcycle because some of it's Green Lane. Mm-hmm. I thought, this is good. You know, 40, 30, 40 years has passed and 
I'm still doing it, but now I'm riding this monster motorbike and upsetting ramblers. Whereas previously I was just a snotty little kid upsetting ramblers. I wonder, I wonder whether anybody listening uh, recalls this Langdale bike hire in the mid eighties and went riding. Cause I mean, that must've been pretty early in the off-road UK bike hire fleet world. Definitely. But um, at the time, I don't think any of us had seen, until that week, that week, I don't think any of us had seen a mountain bike. And if we had, it might have been on TV, but we hadn't seen one in the flesh. We certainly hadn't been one, and it would have been a year later when Doors, mm-hmm. when we saw the first Doors mountain bike. can't remember what that was called. People will be able to comment on the bottom of this. Someone will remember that Doors mountain bike. Yes. And uh, and, and if we that, if we if we pick a ge- uh, a name and a date and things that somebody will say <laughs> no I think you'll find <laughs> yes let's let's stay vague <laughs> the retro bike people are very precise <laughs> very very precise well so that that's our first memorable off road ride what was the first mountain bike then that you owned that was that purple rally Mirage yeah so but but, um, but you know you say proper mountain bike. Plastic canty brakes, plastic levers, three by seven gearing. I think it came with 1.9 tires, which was standard then, 1.95. Uh, neon yellow bottle cage, obviously, because 80s. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I got loads, yeah. loads of miles on it. Because I tell you, nothing's better for your <laughs> surfing or your skateboarding or your cycling than being unemployed, which is kind of where I'm going back to. This is it dawned on me uh, the other night at the skate park. So hold on. <laughs> I can go surfing or cycling or every day. Okay. I, just, I can't, you know, this is hard for me because I am ne- basically never going to get to retire. So I'm struggling through gritted teeth here. <laughs> <laughs> Read a book called The Four Hour Work Week and take a mini retirement every three months. Before, because there's no point quitting work at 67, getting your 200 quid a week from the government and going, yeah, I'm going to go and climb Everest. Yeah, I'm going surfing. No, you're not. You're 67. You ain't, you know, you're done. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That's going to upset everyone, isn't it? We're going to get lots of older members complaining about my attitude now and telling me that they still cycle 100 miles every weekend. Yeah, well, yes, but I would equally, you know, much as I love this job, I would definitely not struggle to fill my time where I retired. That that always confounds me that people say that they don't know what to do with all their time now they're retired. Um, I, I wasn't retired. I had small children, but I didn't work for a few years in any kind of paid employment and I had no trouble at all in filling my days riding bikes with children and yeah. gardening and picnicking and whatever. With life admin, when I take a day off, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'll take that off. I'll go, go out and do something. And then before I've got out of bed, enough life admin has piled up that the, the bins need to go out. Oh, yeah, then there's that junk in the back garden that needs to go to the dump. Oh, I'm meant to pick this up. Oh, can I drop someone off somewhere? And you're like, okay, then. And oh, lo and behold, you know, it's, um, it's time for um, a glass of wine and start cooking in the evening. Yeah, I was going to say, it's half past 10 in the morning. Yes. <laughs> well, you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. <laughs> Careful, though. It's a slippery slope on to, in retirement, yes. Well, imagine that. Seriously, where kids go wrong is they go out 
and start drinking in the evening. And then by 4am or 1am or whenever it is, they are a disaster. So the thing to do is um, get all the important stuff out of the way, you know, your bike ride and what have you. And then stop at the pub on the way home and um, drink <laughs> around tea time. <laughs> Be home by seven <laughs> and asleep by nine. And then you can do it all again the next day. <laughs> oh, touch up in bed by now. Nine, you really are yeah. ready for retirement, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's turn to sadder thoughts. What was the first bike that you had stolen? This was the bike immediately after that giant purple rally. And uh, it came to me as a frame set without the decals attached. So it might have been stolen before it came no. to you. No, it was a war <laughs> it's a warranty job that went into a branch of Halfords and they didn't use it and so they just put it in the bargain pile at something like fifty quid for frame of fork. Right. And, and it is meant to be a Saracen Tough Tracks T U double F T R A X. However the stickers weren't applied. They had the stickers but they weren't applied. And I had scissors. So um it was a Saracen Tart <laughs> Fucks. Right. <laughs> or Fuchs. F-U-X. Tart F-U-X. So when it did get stolen, reporting it to the police was a, was a, it's, it's called a what's a, let me, let me spell it out for you. Oh, hi, hi, hi. I, um, I had to catch a bus in Lycra to get home, which is, uh, which is <laughs> something nobody should ever do. So how did it? come to be stolen then if you were wearing lycra where had you gone without your bike i'd uh, been out in the new forest and i stopped in bournemouth on the way home and i locked it up not to anything because there wasn't anything and i quickly ran into the shop and it was gone gone in 120 seconds sort of thing um i saw it again many years mm -hmm. later over the other side of the harbour in purbeck and um, on a big, long, straight road, and saw it coming towards me. It's quite distinctive, neon green fog, black frame, and so on. And uh, so I spun around and followed the guy for a moment, and like, yeah, that's my bike, but the back wheel was buckled, the rear brake was missing, and, okay. and I thought, I'm going to end up in a fight with somebody who probably didn't steal it, and I don't want it. What am I going to do, cycle home with a, a shagged bike over my shoulder? And no, so I let it go. Just walks away. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, when when your retirement starts on this island, um, you get to design your island and play God. So yeah. what sort of rock and soil and vegetation and climate and things are you gonna go for for your it's life, gonna, lifelong island? Um mountainous, tropical, surrounded by waves. Think uh, fruit growing in trees and mushrooms growing in meadows and uh, warm water, um, that sort of thing. So nothing like the UK, basically. Yeah, think something like Hawaii, somewhere I've never been, but yeah, think tropical. Think you haven't been to Hawaii? No, it's really, really, really expensive. Well, if you <laughs> start in America and you've been there a few times. Yeah, but this being in Hawaii is really expensive. There's plenty yeah. of places to surf in the world which are quieter. And, okay. uh, but, um, yeah, so, um, maybe it's so a nice island, uh, maybe has an abandoned holiday camp. So I've stayed in those before Nick, it's kind of all very Scooby-Doo and quite fun. And maybe we where the bar has been abandoned, but it's still stocked. That'd be handy. Um, but, uh, but no sharks. Cause I really, um, hate sharks. Actually, I don't hate sharks. They're fine. Like I really hate sharks when they swim under you. That's effing terrifying. I'd like, you know, I've been run over, I've fallen off cliffs. But the thing with, when a shark swims underneath you, you have all the time in the world to come up with some really effing useless plan which will make no difference. There's nothing you can do in the, what's the word? The word is when something's A or B. They use the binary. Word in, binary. That's it. It's binary. It doesn't matter what you do, you're either going to get bitten and have the worst day of your life or it's going to piss off and uh, it's only happened once and it did piss off but it's um that's, that's really yeah yeah that's i think there is something you could do in those moments while you're contemplating the shark <laughs> you could you could not cut yourself don't yep. like just 
graze yourself in that moment. Don't play with knives. Yeah, don't move. Um, yeah. Don't, don't look like a seal. Don't wear a black shiny wetsuit. <laughs> Do you don't have be, a sort of nineteen eighties coloured, multicoloured wetsuit just no. for that purpose? No, you should. I don't, do. I, it's bad that it's actually about the silhouette when they look up from brave because your feet sticking out the back and the, the shape of the board. You look like a seal. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So sharks, nothing wrong with them, but stay away from me. So my eyelid will be shark free. Okay, I'm with you there. Yeah. I'm quite scared of the sea altogether. <laughs> I got caught in a rip. I was quite scared, and then I got caught in a rip. So then I was more scared. Yeah, I rarely <laughs> go into the sea without. Um, a surfboard. So when, if things go wrong, I've still got you know, 70 litres of flotation to hand and I'm tied to it. And so I, I can bob around for a bit, get smashed about for a bit, but you, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll get out of there. But I have been smashed into a sea cave in Morocco. And that was pretty hairy. And that was, that was the end of that board wetsuit had cuts to my hands, face, feet and so on. So, yeah. yeah. You know, mm. you're not selling the sea to me. <laughs> really not. <laughs> so, yeah, the, uh, so back to land then. Yeah, back to land. <laughs> back to land. Yeah. So uh, have we have we reached the point in your life where you're actually working with bikes yet? What, you, now? Do, no, like it, in the bike history. By oh. the time you had the uh, Not a Saracen stolen... Were you working in the bike world or were you no. still eyeing up a professional career in a suit? I was um, marketing financial services products from a uh, tweed suit. I look like I look like Vic Reeves with uh, um, it's a nice sort of uh, Chelsea red, uh, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea, cherry red Chelsea boots. I wasn't a good fit in the corporate world. I'm, I'm the only yeah. person in the history of Liverpool Victoria Friendly Society to get, to get tubed in their lunch hour. And uh, I was in the lift with a surfboard and got some strange looks. And I just, just said, it's okay, board meeting. Oh, God. So for a moment, <laughs> for a moment, this was like a sleep assist podcast. We would go and talk about the corporate world. And then it just became like a dad joke central. So, oh, pain. So, um, I had a really good boss in the corporate world. And I... So I was in the corporate world and my job had gone from spreadsheets and direct mail to shooting TV adverts in Cape Town, which that's how I got exposed to that damn shark. And, uh, but I had started an eBay shop, which got called Charlie the Bite Manga and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and it came a point where it's like, hold on, I'm, I'm working in the evenings, packing parcels till the midnight. And it's, it comes a point where your side hustle outgrows your day job. And uh, then you kind of have to make this tough decision. Which isn't really tough, but it can be a scary decision. But it's like actually, um, I've got to go with this. And when I explained it to my old boss guy, and uh, and I said, you know, it's like having a imagine you have a puppy, and you play with it in the evenings. It's great. Now my little puppy, my little toy business, is now a effing great big Saint Bernard, and it's taking over the house. The downstairs <laughs> toilet was full of track wheels. The shed was full of track frames. <laughs> there was stuff under the sofa and everything. It literally you know, taken over. And I said, I can't terminate my my dog my puppy and sit at a desk and work for you knowing that i could be having fun in the bike world and uh so that was kind of that was the decision process and leaving good good job good boss unfortunately he got um shot dead uh murdered in his bed a couple wow. of years later yeah blimey yeah shit happens yeah make sure your alarm um you lock the doors and make sure your alarm works so okay yeah is that in the uk yeah, New Forest, which sounds really gnarly, doesn't it? Now, so, um, it's a it's a forest full of millionaires and national trust and so on. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I left the corporate world and started bike manga, but but whilst I was in the corporate world, I had these dumb little projects. So I um, dumb. I had these fun little projects. I was the editor of Tire Print, the Dorset Rough Riders Mountain Bike Club magazine, four hundred and fifty circulation, not bad, comparable with some recent. UK publications. <laughs> and uh, I invented Orion Beering, which is like orienteering on bikes with hidden beer. You put good beer at the top of the hills, shit beer at the bottom, and you get points for finding beer, getting lost, and you get points deducted for being late. So I did that for a few years, and then it started looking really dangerous, and people getting hurt, 
and then I started the Clunker Classic, which is a four mile downhill race, um, in Exmoor over Porlock. Um, you're not allowed a mountain bike, so children's bikes, post office bikes, uh, road bikes, anything, but not a mountain bike. And that grew over 15 years and it was, it, it was pretty messy. How would you uh, define a mountain bike for the purposes of somebody wishing for adjudicators ruling? It was, um, yeah. I suspect your answer would be rude and tell them where to get lost no, know, if, they, um, if they care about the small print that much. But well, I turned up on a fat bike once because I had a plaster cast on. I said, I just ride, I'm just joining in. And people were angry. It's like, well, I organized a race. It's a fat bike, not a mountain bike. So he let my tires down. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was brilliant. That was absolutely best racing ever. You know, it's um, riding a 1930s post office bike with rod brakes, which are kind of like a. Uh, yeah, the, I've got one in the garage. <laughs> yeah. So, so for the listeners, there's no cables, there's a set of bars and levers and linkages that gently rub some unsticky sort of rubber punk, against a yeah. rim. Steampunk brakes. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really fast. They're the fastest brakes you can get. If you want to win races, <laughs> this is where those pros are going wrong with their giant rotors and their, hy um, their hydraulics. If they want to go fast, they need rod brakes and their downhill bikes. <laughs> I hope so, real, um, the really good ones don't brake very much at all, do they? You just, they just really want them to work when they do brake. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, the Clunker Classic, after 15 years, we got run out of town, literally uh, told don't come back. And uh, so, so that seen its uh, that run its course. <laughs> okay. So, so I was dicking around doing these silly little, you know, daft events, and I still do that. You know, I still do events with uh, Dirt Dash. See, with, uh, see, I knew you'd get it in there. With Free Marcus Stitz, Dirt Dash CC bike packing events with Marcus <laughs> Stitz round the world, single speeder and uh, single track contributor. So, uh, uh, so I still do that. Enjoy it. It's basically scouting for adults. It's like doing your Duke of Edinburgh's award on a bike with a load of beer at a campsite, which is probably <laughs> not that different to many scouts' experience of Duke of Edinburgh's award, just that nobody <laughs> else knows who got the beer. Well, okay, which bike did you wish you had but never owned? Is there one that got oh. away? Or have you been lucky enough to have them all? No, I always had knackered bikes that were only just hanging in there until I got run over. When the insurance company paid my first suspension bike, um, having owned a bike shop and dealing with all kinds of niche brands and stuff, I, there was there's no I could have anything I wanted. Uh. So, but when I was younger, it was things like a mountain cycles, San Andreas, mm -hmm. monocoque, first disc, first upside down foot. That looked amazing. I rode one at Battle on the Beach, just around the field. It's a pogo stick from hell. <laughs> so all these bikes that you really wanted you probably didn't um if i could have any bike it, it, it's yeah, the best bike is the one you're riding which i think is the same answer charlie kelly gave when talking to you a few years ago it's the one you're riding now with your mates that's the best bike and the, the more retarded a bike the more basic a bike the more fun you have and so every bike's an off-road bike and that's why many, many years ago, I was on first name terms with Chris at Specialized Warranty, because I think it was free. Uh, the, a steel road bike snapped after I raced a child around a BMX track. I beat the 12-year-old, so it's worth it. Boris. Sorry. Huh? There's just a slight similarity to Boris there playing rugby, no? <laughs> I was, he challenged me. You know, there, was no, there was no contact. I didn't slam him. Down. He had a BMX. I had a road bike. Racing around the track. Well, okay then. I cleared the small double, but the frame only lasted a week after that. So every road is an off-road. Every bike is an off-road bike. Until it breaks. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, so on the flip side, is there a bike that you did own, but you wish you hadn't? Oh, the shortest owned bike I've ever had, and one of the nicest also was a early Sousa Spearfish, maybe second generation. So they were the first full suspension 29ers. I think Gary Fisher released some years earlier uh -huh. and then until they faded away. And it was uh, specifically, I was a Sousa, I think I was the Sousa importer at times, definitely a dealer 
then I was I was doing Porter for a while. Um, and it was to ride with uh, Dirty Chris Reichel from Drunk Cyclist and uh-huh. Pat across the interior of Iceland. And so I uh, sold my Pugsley fat bike to free up some cash and got a Spearfish. I did the local loop around Purbex and Dorset, Corfe Castle, Swanage, and with my mate Ian, and we're normally really evenly matched on certain bits of single track. And I was way ahead of him. And with all with 100 mil of travel, it was not a challenge and it was no fun. And um, and then uh, got a message from uh, from Chris saying, ah, oh, the sponsor who's going to give us uh, the full suspension bikes has pulled out. It's now a fat bike trip. The Iceland <laughs> trip's now. Yeah, I've just sold my fat bike. <laughs> so, um, I modified a Surly, put a fork in a Surly Krampus, which is a plus bike, so 29 by 3, and that was perfect for the trip. But that um, Spearfish, brilliant bit of kit, absolutely brilliant. You just don't need that much bike for the rolling hills of Dorset. And it was, um, it was, it was way overbiked. So that was the kind of the bike I wish I hadn't bought. But now, living up here and having tested for single track a carbon Spearfish, couple of years ago they are amazing if you've got the terrain for it so now you wish you did i yeah (laughs) okay well uh on your on your lush almost like hawaii without the sharks islands you get to choose you can either send an advanced trail team who will build you everything you want or you can get a bear island but you've got to build it all yourself now, if you send the advanced trail team, all you're allowed to do after that is fix the odd puddle. You're not allowed to build your own stuff. So I would definitely go with the um, the Virgin Island, the untouched one. Yeah, because uh, you know, you could. How long does it take to get rescued? You're not. Forever? You're not. You're you're not getting rescued. That's yeah, it. I've got all the time in the world. I'll make I'll make my own trails. So you <laughs> Can, don't mind? I, a bit I, I want something to do. And yeah, why would you? No, nah, nah, definitely, definitely um, take a. Yeah, why would you want someone to make your trails? That's like going to McDonald's rather than making a, making a nice meal. Yeah, you might not like digging. You might just want to pedal. Some yeah. people might. No, okay. No, no, definitely, definitely naked art. Naked. naked That's the right art. word. No, <laughs> uh, un, untouched. <laughs> Getting some insight into the laws that there will be on this <laughs> island at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so as well as digging trails, then you're going to have loads of time on your hands. So, what skill might you learn? Doesn't have to be bike related. I, maybe, I, maybe you'll I, learn this in your retirement with all the time you'll have on your hands. I think it's, um, I think it's carpentry. Carpentry oh, yeah? is going to be the most useful thing because you're on an island and you've I'm got happy. time, and you haven't got anything. And if you need something, you can make it out of wood. I think carpentry is the skill. And can you do carpentry at all already? Uh, sort of, yeah. You know, I've fitted a kitchen and stuff like that. You know, yeah. it went okay. <laughs> it's it's funny how I think that has been like the most popular in the family fortunes ranking of answers. We asked but, a studio yeah. audience of so many castaways. And they've all gone woodworking of some shape or or loads of them have. And and yet in our everyday lives, it appears that we don't make time for much by way of woodworking. And it's one of those things that you get someone in to do for you. Yeah. If you've got time, you use it. Why not learn a new skill? You you know, if you want a chair, table, shelter, all sorts. Yeah, woodworking. You're gonna okay. have to you'd have to learn it to survive anyway. Well, and you only get to take one bike to the island to ride forevermore. It doesn't have to be a real bike that actually exists if you wish to cobble together some particular features of other bikes. But what what bike do you need to see see you out the rest of your days? Twenty nine, rigid, steel, single speed, motorcycle. Handlebars, big like the surly ones, big moto bars, and flat pedals and uh, mechanical discs. Because have other people when they've done this? I've listened to a few. There's no point in having a, a Bluetooth dropper post <laughs> or an e-bike or an air shock because that'd be great. But what do you ride 
next month when it starts running out of charge and things start falling apart. You need something that's going to go on and go on and go on. So it would be my surly, the, I've got the bike now. This is my sort of go-to for lots of things. Bike, so surly single speed 29er. Okay. I'm interested as to how you're going to get around this mountainous island that you've devised there with your single speed. Um, single speeds, they are um, free speeds, at least. So you've you got um, sit down and pedal, yeah. stand up and pedal, yeah. get off and push. Yeah. And then there's a secret one where you F everything off, turn around and freewheel back to town. Okay. No one speaks about one. <laughs> it doesn't, on a single speed, you get the, gear, get the ratio right. And you can, uh, I did single speed Arizona on a mountain near Tucson. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Mount Lemon. That was the fella. We went from the base on tarmac to the bloody top. It was something like a 7,000 feet one go climb in bitching heat. There was snow at the top. And uh, we made it up there. Yeah, that's, that's two Snowdens. Mm-hmm. And so we got up, hundreds of us got up there on single speed. I couldn't go up there because it was, there was too much snow. It was closed <laughs> for snow. Yeah. You don't go to Arizona. <laughs> you didn't know what... No. It's for snow. No, I no. did not go for snow. And yet I got snow. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, you, you you basically devised an indestructible bike there, but you are going to get an annual visit from a mechanic to get... Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh. They'll, they'll do a task for you. So, you know, what a hateful job would you would oh. you get them to do for you oh man there's so many hateful jobs there's some really hateful jobs that are satisfying like things like seized bottom brackets in the uh in the bike shop uh, back at charlie the biomango we had a a lever and um it was at least a meter long and mm-hmm. two people would be bracing the bike <laughs> one person would be standing on the other end would be almighty great okay. and sometimes almost a cloud of smoke as, as it's on bust out. Um, jobs I hate. <laughs> Internal cable routing is awful. It's just, uh, it's nice. It looks great. But, you know, if you've got work on the bike, it's a pain in the ass. I once had a guy come in with a specialized carbon road bike and then his gear cable was uh, needed replacing. And so, yeah, go get coffee. I'll see you in 20 minutes. An hour later, he, you know, so he was still waiting because I had, yeah. to take, I had to take some kind of plate out of the bottom bracket area and... Yeah, to take, start taking a frame apart. It wasn't an e-bike. Just had to start taking a frame apart to do a simple cable swap. So that's the job I hate. But my bike won't have internal cables. Yeah. So uh, probably best just to I'll, I'll let them swap out the pads. Okay, <laughs> swap out the pads, fresh sealing, and pop, pop a new bottom bracket in. I'll probably run it on a square taper, so you can. He'll only need to turn up every three or four years. Okay, so you you don't feel like you're going to be missing the human contact then on this island? I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll draw a face on a on a on a on a volleyball. I'll go the traditional. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have a Wilson. I'll, I'll find myself a Wilson. So it yeah. doesn't doesn't fill you with horror and dread then the idea of having lots of time to yourself alone. Well, I've done um, some of the cycling I've done and motorcycling I've done is is alone. It's been sometimes out of uh, being a bit Billy No Mates and everyone's either getting divorced, breaking a leg, or can't be asked or whatever. And, and, and sometimes it's deliberate. And when you surf alone, you, your style's different. When you cycle alone day after day, you have yourself as company and you like realize quite how, how mental you are as you chat away to yourself. And <laughs> why am I thinking this? <laughs> What's going on now? <laughs> and, uh, and you end up in, yeah, you end up in a different world. I once saw I once saw a dead monkey cycling by myself <laughs> in Devon. <laughs> was it Devon? It was Devon, just south <laughs> south end of Exmoor. Dead monkey in the road. Really? Yeah, I was on a surly big dummy cargo bike, Maximist Maximist touring. And you didn't scoop it up and put it on the back of the cargo bike. I was going. I had a fifteen kilogram canvas teepee because I had all this cargo space. So I went, you know, proper touring with deck chairs and things. Uh huh. <laughs> And uh, I passed off it in the road and I thought, I said, I said to myself, blimey, all words to that effect, blimey, that looks just like a monkey. And I started putting the brakes on and I looked back and said, I'm not cycling this bike back up this hill, sod that. And so it just, it sat in my, 
in my head for a few years as the time I thought I saw a monkey. I then, uh, me and a friend, we cycled to the Clunker Classic and went past the same neighborhood and Sustrans had put a route in through the grounds of a stately home. And on the side of the stately home, some kilometer from my monkey sighting, they had a cage of marmosets, Suffolk, monkeys. Right. Yeah. So I did see a dead monkey. You but didn't for, hallucinate the monkey. <laughs> but for years, I was sure, but I something happened. Maybe, maybe I've ridden too far, too hard, too long, and I probably should take a break. <laughs> the monkeys of Devon are real. So, so you have spent your most of your working life in bikes, but obviously you also surf, and then you also ride motorbikes, and you also skateboard. Yeah. If you could only pick one, which would win? Surfing. Oh, cycling. Ah. Is you including cycling in there? Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. Surfing's a real pain in the ass because you can spend... Oh, I've been all the way to Mexico and got four crappy waves and guns pointed at me twice. So the gun-to-wave ratio was utterly wrong. Um, you know, it's a long way to go. And Homeland Security smashed the board up, even though it was wrapped up in a padded bag and bubble wrap and in a box. Um, so you can surfing can be really, really unrewarding when every now and then you're right place, right time. So in Africa, uh, Morocco, at breakfast is strangers turned up and I said, like, Hey, what are you guys doing here? They're from Brazil, Cape Town, Berlin, California. And the, the Germans said, Ah, oh, tomorrow it is six. And I said, Oh man, it's been six foot all day, all week. You missed it. He goes, No, no, meters. I said, oh. Okay. It's so like 18, 20 foot. Yeah. That's the swirl. Wait till it hits the reef. So. After 30 odd years, I got to surf 30 foot tubes, 25 foot tubes, 25, big, biggest houses. But then there's so much disappointment in surfing, but it's so intense. I think if I had to keep, I think I had to keep one, it'd be cycling because you can just get on a bike and go, even if it's raining. You don't have to wait and wait and wait for the right conditions. And, right. Cy and cycling doesn't really have crowds. Surfing nowadays is so popular. You have to go further and further off the beaten track to find quiet places. So, you know, if you if you can get off a plane and travel for two hours, there'll be a hundred other surfers there. Even getting up first thing in the morning doesn't help. Surfing in the winter, in the snow, in Cornwall, we still can get busy. So, yeah, I'd keep cycling for sure. And so what knocks skateboarding and motorbikes off then? Uh, they're really hurty. So mo motorbikes, when, when things go wrong in a mountain bike, you just go, ah, oh, damn it. When things go wrong in a motorbike, it can be a lot more serious. So, but a lot of my, off, a lot of my motorcycling is off-road with the Trail Riding Fellowship, which is like the Rambling Society, but with middle-aged blokes and motorbikes. Uh -huh. And that's, you know, he's just generally pootling along, you know, over the mountains, through rivers, and having a bit of a laugh, but not, you can't really hurt yourself. That Mind sounds you, quite like mountain biking. It is pretty, it's pretty much mountain biking. They do get through a lot of collarbones. Okay. And uh, skateboarding, uh, I skated last night. First time I skated vert in six months. Oh, well, no, second time I skated vert in six months. Dropped in, and I thought, I'll just drop in on the edge of the boat. I'll just drop in. Just the first thing I'm going to do, I'm not going to go and warm up. Just get the set away. Once I got the set away, because it was a little bit scary, everything will be fine. So I, I completely slammed. <laughs> People keep running over. Are you okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Quickly ran back up and went again. And like, yeah, I've got it. <laughs> but skateboarding for if I'm what I'm fifty for thirty something years, I've just been managing my decline. Okay. Whereas with surfing, I I think I probably peaked now, but um, um, yeah. But that's probably due to lack of action, lack of activity, rather than anything else. You can surf well as an old man. You can have a nice sort of style, a nice cruisy classic style. You don't have to sort of shred and rip. Okay. Yeah. And still, and still, people will think you're cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. It is really cool. He's just sitting out, see, bobbing around, but every ten minutes, it's, you know, you, you you're flying along with you know, wind flapping in the hair and carving around a place. Yeah. yeah. It really is. It's, um, but when, it, when it's perfect, it's life-changing. Time slows down when you're in the tube. And it's, you know, seconds. Uh, you're in the tube for maybe, I don't know, even when it's at its best, you know, 
10 seconds and it feels like two minutes. And when you come out the other side, your brain is completely reformatted, like someone's hit defrag. I think there uh, are drugs that do the same sort of thing, but have less sharks, fewer sharks. (laughs) There are, without a doubt. But, um... Yeah, and it's also the hunt for surfing. It's, you're always hunting. And as a, when you're an active, when you really, oh, and I guess people are kind of spoiled nowadays with trail centers. But in the past, before the trail centers, you'd be like riding along, you see this little trail, tiny little, just some tracks going off through the bracket. And you're like, why has someone gone over there? So you sort of try and follow them. And like, aha, I found a secret downhill run. And um, so the hunting, the fishing, the, the searching for, uh, for perfect waves and trails. There's a lot of similarity there. And you're not going to take up fishing then on your desert island? Yeah. On appeal? Or yep. in your retirement? Definitely. I used to fish, but I didn't like killing them. I, I like, quite like eating them, but I didn't like, like the bother of... After, after a few beers with, uh, with my, uh, my mate Dad, we would go fishing and never catch anything because we weren't really fishing. We were drinking beer on mm-hmm. some rocks and Dorset. But every time, every time and then you kind of get rudely interrupted by some suicidal fish who's, you know, accidentally got himself hooked by the two okay. worst fishermen in Dorset. And we're like, oh shit. And, that, and then after a few beers, it's the first time we had to kill a fish, we were, it was, oh, it was, <laughs> I don't know, it was a disaster. We were right. almost in tears. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> the fish still wasn't dead. And it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't come here for this. No, we're just meant to be smoking and drinking on a rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's not fishing is not about the fish. But if you told your wives that, like, oh, yeah, on Friday night, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang out with Dan. We're going up to um, sit in the car park and get wasted. It should be, they'll be like, you what? If you go, oh, we're, we're going fishing. Oh, okay, that sounds good. And off you go. <laughs> I would, I would see through your ruse, and I would choose the fishing. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite into the whole fishing, not catching thing. Yeah. I, I too get quite distressed when I actually catch a fish. For a moment, it's exciting, and then and then the reality of having to get the fish off the hook and, yeah. and not kill it and put it back. Or like, I've never caught one that's big enough to warrant killing. So a lot of fishing um, is, is it's about the, the chase, isn't it? It's about the, it's not about, fishing is not called catching. It's called fishing, yeah. and I like fishing. I don't like catching. <laughs> well, you might have to do some catching to survive on on your island. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what book would you take with you? It's a book I haven't read. Um, it's called About Face. And so the movie Apocalypse Now, a Vietnam movie, there's a, a colonel, Colonel Kilgore, mm-hmm. in there, and he gets the guys, um, they're the cavalry, they have helicopters. He gets his guys to uh, invade a village because they got good surf and uh, sat around the fire the night before with one of his advisors saying, oh, I was pretty hot in there. That's, uh, you know, as Charlie's point, there's some Vietnamese look control of it. And he, he says, Charlie, don't surf. Then they fly in playing flights to Valkyries <laughs> and bomb the hell out of this uh, village so they can go surfing. And then they, uh, they get some fire. So they uh, called in the Air Force and they napalm this entire tree line. And it, in the movie, I think they actually did because it is such a convincing. This is before CGI and so on. Mm-hmm. And he stands there with things exploding him around, exploding around him. And he says, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. And so that guy was a real guy, based on a real character, who was a Californian body surfer. He joined the army, became a decorated pin up superstar general in Korea and then Vietnam. He got disillu- yeah, disillusioned the whole thing for you. it was a scam because young men were being trained in Alaska and then flown for a few weeks and being flown to a jungle which is not really the same kind of environment mm. little trading and being killed so he held a press press conference he held a press conference uh, without the permission of the government or the army Ooh. just held it himself um, somewhere in Vietnam and said this is this is shit this isn't working out this is a, this is a farce the American government tried killing him, assassinating him after that. They put uh, a grenade under his seat. It was Jeep hooked up to the accelerator pedal. And the hydraulics on his Huey helicopter were also tampered with. So after two assassination attempts, which he believed was by his own side, um, he quit, went to Mallorca. Uh, I think he went to Mallorca, went to some Caribbean island, 
not Caribbean there. That's not the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mediterranean island. Same, not the same thing at all. Went to Mediterranean island uh, where there were a bunch of people avoiding the draft and smoked a lot of weed. Then he went to Australia and became a duck farmer. Then he became a campaigner for nuclear disarmament and won a UN Peace Prize. So this story, this book, this real book is based on the, the you know, Apocalypse Now, that character is based on a real guy. And he went from warmonger to peacemaker, a full U-turn. And, I, and it's also quite importantly, because I'm a, I'm a strategist, it's quite a thick book. It's chunky. Uh-huh. I've got it at home. I haven't started it yet. Cause it's doesn't dawn- sound like you need to read it. It sounds like you know the story already. Well, this is just what I picked off Wikipedia before I bought the book. <laughs> and the um, and so it's not only is it a thick book, it's printed on quite cheap um, paper, which looks quite absorbent. Right. So I can see that having um, toiletry values <laughs> on the island. Okay. Yeah. Mul- multi-purpose. Multi-purpose. Choo- choose, choose a thick book. We've printed on some, some some sort of blotting paper type material, and you're you know multitasking it. Well, I hope it doesn't prove to be that it's like Wikipedia's done the, the, the movie trailers and you've now seen all the highlights and there's nothing left of interest in between. It's about two inches thick. Right. <laughs> it's got it's gotta be, there's gotta there's be, gotta be more in... to it than that. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's that that was just the landmark. So it's just a just the points. Uh, but uh-huh. with his thinking around there and you know on that journey i think what takes you to being a duck farmer yeah okay ducks are cute they're really stupid they'd be really hard work to farm yeah yeah you used to have them yeah okay so you get to take one album with you so what album would you take i was thinking dark sides of the moon by pink floyd that's quite a cliche yeah because it is so good it is really, there's so much detail in it. And it's um, just as a little tangent, uh, everyone else, if you like the album, check out Dub Sides of the Moon by the Easy Star All Stars. And also check out um, Dark Side of the Moon, covered by the Flaming Lips with Henry Rollins. Oh, I yeah. like that. Yeah. That's re- it's really grindy, industrial, and edgy and scary. And yeah, but uh, that's what I was thinking. And then I thought, no, this is, this is not practical. So I'm going to go with the greatest hits of the Bonzo Dog Doodah band. Uh, they had a hit, which was uh, I'm the Urban Spaceman. Yes. Which is right. their hit, which we can ignore. But most bands just ignored the hit. But um, they, uh, amongst uh, many songs, they have songs about hunting tigers. And it's full of useful advice. Quite practical. Apparently they, they, they bite and scratch, you know. Mm-hmm. So everything I know about hunting tigers, I've learned from uh, Viv Stanshaw on the Bonzo Dog Doodah band. So this the, is going to be your, your guide to survival, then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. There may be a vacancy on the island soon, folks. <laughs> Charlie's retirement may not last very long. <laughs> you want to see my pension statement? Ain't gonna, <laughs> I, I can't live long. <laughs> well, okay, so... Uh, you don't need your pension to buy this bit. You can take one luxury item to your island. So you can't use it to, to escape, escape or communicate. Um, I was, it would have to be a surfboard was my first thought. Uh-huh. Um, so with a surfboard, pick something like a 9-2 pre-gunny single fin. Something kind of good all-round board. Um, you can fish from it. It's, you know, we are small boats. Um but, you know, and all those weights, all those weights, all to myself, forever, or, or uh-huh. until I die, whichever comes first. And um, so if I was rescued, you know, when, when Tom Hanks gets rescued and cast away, he's a, he's a bit shabby. Uh-huh. You know, he's a bit, I, w- I will be mm-hmm. in fantastic shape and really happy when I get rescued, if I get rescued. But then I, I U-turned all of us because mm-hmm. um, surfboards need repairs and uh, I... I went surfing's older than Christianity. Um, there uh, are boards and museums that are thousands of years old, and they were hidden when the um, religious folk turned up in Hawaii after Captain Cook and outlawed surfing. 
Um, so you, and they were made of wood and depending on your hierarchy in Hawaiian society, the size of your board and the wood used would differ. So the, um, the Kings of Hawaiian Kings royalty used willy, willy trees. W I L I. I can't think why you remember that. <laughs> so, and I've, I've made, um, solid wooden replicas of ancient surfboards and they're a sod to surf a real, they're really really difficult no fin they go very fast they go very sideways they've got their flotation and they're really really tricky to surf and um, they're called alayas and um and so of all the time in the world surfing is kind of easy once you've got it but surfing finless wooden planks of wood is really tricky so that would be something where you're not going to get bored of it because you're going to it's, it's such a difficult thing to do. And so my luxury item would be a woodworking uh, toolkit. A wood shed. I can, a proper workshop. A man cave. A man cave of stuff so I can make surfboards out of wood. Okay. And then I can, I can fish from them, I can do it, and I can go surfing and so on. But you've got all the time in the world. Make your own boards. Because they're fun to make. They last well, alone. I would totally have a wood shop if... If, as a luxury item uh, if I was going to a desert island. So I'm going to grant that on the basis that <laughs> that means that if I have to go to a desert island, I will be able to have the same. That makes sense. Of... <laughs> that does make sense, yeah. <laughs> this is a crooked system, isn't it? Yeah. This is... <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, you obviously you mentioned because you are... Uh, Never shy to uh, to escape her. Oh no, that's not the sentence I'm looking for. Mark can edit that out. Um, you you never want to miss an opportunity for some promotion. So you did mention your dirt dash event. Yes, I uh, think we've got this far without a mention of bomb butter. Of what? Bomb butter. Oh, pa- pardon, my, my headphones aren't working. What did you say? I think I did. I say mingerine. Oh no, I definitely <laughs> no, Ed, didn't. No, that's no, Ed. mine. Edit that out. That's mine. <laughs> Go edit that out. You can't Bloody edit that out. Um, <laughs> that was my suggestion, folks. <laughs> For the women's version. Beer might have been involved. It was. <laughs> um, so uh, from here on, I'm running Dirt Dash events, so overnight bikepacking events in Marcus Stitz. Uh, we've got a new event going into the Yorkshire coast next summer we just run a new event uh in uh scotland in the uh Caterham area that went really well that was a really nice event apart from one collarbone it's collarbones keep keep cocking things up um and uh so that's that's it's brilliant work because you, you have to you live in a van marcus will be out sorting out the route and stuff and there's, there's all kinds of logistics and event management's a really tricky business and sh- should be quite stressful and um it's there's not a lot of sleep it's hard work um but then there's lots of planning but generally it's a week on the ground and so you know a week in Dorset a week in Scotland a week here it's quite it's really nice work and it, it doesn't uh you know it's not it's very different to nine to fiving uh-huh. and then uh the other the other business is um, Happy Bottom Bum Butter. So uh, that is a side hustle, which has just kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, I've, made, um, I've made some smart moves. So if you buy a tub of bum butter from me, um, sometimes I handle it and pop it in a jiffy bag. But I have a um, another way of doing that, where I pay another organization to send it out and so from an iphone i can copy and paste your order from one system into the next and hit send and i can do that anywhere with uh wi-fi or mobile reception so when i was in france surfing a few weeks back i'd I'd be in my deck chair with a coffee or a glass of wine and spend some time each day shuffling around the orders and replying to emails but it's a i can run that from anywhere which is kind of so if you want to know how to do that, buy the book or the audio book, The Four <laughs> Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and uh, yes. it will show you how to. I, I thought you were about to start offering yourself as a consultant there. 
Nah, t- <laughs> Tim's Tim's already Tim's already nailed it years ago. So he worked three months flat out, and then he'll take <laughs> one month mini retirement, and in that one month he'll go tango dancing in Buenos Aires, <laughs> racing motorbikes in Europe, climbing mountains, and Monday morning nine till one p.m. or something like that. That four hours he'll work just to keep on top of everything, and so he'll take mini retirements whilst he's still young enough to climb, surf, <laughs> tango <laughs> dance. And um, retiring when you're 67 and thinking, yeah, I'm going to go and surf big waves. That ain't going to happen. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's pretty much written a manual on how to do that. And I'm, after years and years of working hard and building things, building businesses, I've actually gotten a place where I can run thumb butter remotely for weeks and weeks at a time. Right. So, so that's the kind, that's the plan. Well, screw you. <laughs> On you go to your island. I'm trying really hard not to swear. This is tricky at this point for me. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you for being Hold on Desert Island Brisbane. <laughs> before before we wrap up, one one final word. And this came, um, this isn't my story. It's someone else's story, but it's something that's really shaped my decision making. So a guy makes uh, LB Thousand Australian, scrounges some money from the Australian government. He's a hippie and a surfer, and he makes a movie in 1972 called Morning of the Earth. When it's released on VHS in the 80s, he does a little intro. He stood in front of the camera, he's got his red surfboard under his arm, and the guy behind the camera says to him, how did, you, how did this movie come about? How did you, where did it come from? You know, why, why did you do this? And he said, oh, I wanted to hold a mirror up to the world and show them themselves and show them where they're at, because where they're at isn't where it's at. It's not back there in the city with a BMW and a giant TV. It's out here, it's surfing with the dolphins, picking fruit from the forest and climbing the mountains to see sunrise. And this is, this is the zinger. This is the killer line. He says, people spend their lives pursuing things to make their lives better, but those things are not better than life. I feel so, like I shouldn't speak now. Uh, and we should uh, just go to church or something. Just fade out yeah. now. So, yeah, I'll, I'll leave everyone with that final, final, uh, what's the word? What, what do priests and stuff do? Is um, a... Mass rights, yeah. <laughs> Charlie's not dying yet is the Ch- plan. Charlie's an evangelist. Of, uh, <laughs> what's the word? My last sermon. Is that a sermon? I don't Fair know. Word. That's some life advice, kids. It don't won't take be it the too last seriously. year of you, I'm sure. But uh, yes, enjoy your retirement. Bastard. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Mark, yeah. can you just put some beeps in there so that I can swear? Because it's really, I, I don't have the vocabulary. Anyone can do this. <laughs> right, we can all work remotely nowadays. Do we, all, yeah, well, just, a... just, well, Mark's listening. Mark's listening and editing. <laughs> so, Mark, Charlie says that I've only got to work for a few hours a day. For most of the year, that—that's what you said, isn't it, Charlie? Yeah. yeah. And you and you can. There's a municipal campsite on the west coast of France. For 15 euros a night, you get a 10 meter by 10 meter pitch with Wi-Fi and electric hookup. Park your van, put your tent up. If you stay for 20 nights, you knock a third off. 10 quid a night to be a stone's throw from the surf, in the sunshine, eating baguettes, drinking wine, and working. No, you're not allowed to work though, because Brexit. No. Work, work. You're just tinkering with a laptop, aren't you? Really? Yeah. You'd have to do work remotely in Europe, aren't you? No. Really? Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Does anyone listen so you to can, this? I think you're allowed to go to Portugal. Portugal, And Portugal has good big waves and they have a digital yeah. nomad scheme. So that's, that's where you should head. Oh, so I'm not allowed to do the thing I'm about to do? No. How sodom. If I no. tell you what, if, 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 you're, if European <laughs> citizenship was such an important and real thing, a bunch of crooks with a red bus wouldn't be able to steal it from you. <laughs> oh, that's another part. So uh, you'll be on Alistair Campbell's podcast uh, next week. Why oh. was the bus red? Surely it should be blue. No, do you remember the big red bus? 315 million to the NHS. Yeah, but it should have been blue, surely. Uh, red is the international colour of a sail. <laughs> and distress. And <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, okay. Well, I, I think I think we're ready to send you off to your island now. Sorry. Thank you. How am I getting a just get thrown over? Just push me off the yeah, side of the push you over good, the edge with your woodshed. Single, 
That's a yeah. single track. Slam. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks for being here. No worries. Bye. Wee. Splash. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.